Hello there, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. You are listening to another episode of the Imperial Senate Podcasts. Podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> Me, yeah. That's going to be the name of our fans. The Podcasts. Podcasts. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> wow, I got one thing on the brain, don't I? Um, no. <laughs> but yeah, the Imperial Senate Podcasts. Literature review show of the Senate Library. Woo woo! It's been a long time. It's good to be back. There we go. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I am your host, Claire Stribling, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host Nikki. Hello. How are you doing? I good. I good. Very excited to discuss the old literature once again. We always come back for the blue guy, don't we? We like skip out on every other novel, but when Thrawn comes back, <laughs> yeah. we show up. <laughs> like we we did Son of Dathomir, and I think our last one was Resistance Reborn. But otherwise, yeah, this is the Thrawn show. It um, really is. So, yeah, we, we, we show up for blue. That's for sure. We like to get bloon. And... Hey. um. And this time, we have a guest joining us, special friend of the podcast, Imperial Senate Patreon co-host, and the creator slash host of C.O. Bibble's Babble Bubble, the greatest name of a podcast for Star Wars (laughs) in the history of podcast Star Wars naming. It's Reed. How are you doing, Reed? Well, I got to say it like this. I'm blue, Daba D, Daba (laughs) Daba. I have a blue house with a blue window, you see. Blue is the color of all that I wear. Blue are the streets and all the trees, too. I have a girlfriend, and she is so blue. Blue are the people here that walk around blue like my Corvette. It's in and outside. Blue are the words I say and what I think. Blue are the feelings that live inside me. I'm blue, daba dee, daba die. That's, that's poetry. That was beautiful. <laughs> How amazing is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, real, real divine, divine inspiration right there. <laughs> Spoken from the heart. Spoken from the heart. <laughs> I just I do want to mention now that we've listened to that, how glorious it was to be alive where that was like the number one song in the world. <laughs> you know what? Everybody it's... knew that song. Honestly, it... if you still don't know that song, there's something wrong. Something wrong there. (laughs) (sighs) It's it's a treasure for sure. I mean, it that song walked so Maya he could fly. (laughs) Oh my god, Maya he! Mm -hmm. Why have you done this? See, I'm on. And and those songs, if you want to follow the trajectory, I know this is a book show, but we're gonna make a musical very briefly. (laughs) Those songs are definitely what led up to. What does the fox say eventually? You know, it all is of the same. (laughs) 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 Oh my God. I'm glad glad that was demonstrated. (laughs) What the fox actually says. (laughs) Without missing a beat, just jumping right into it. It's ingrained, ingrained in us. Oh goodness. It's some sort of conditioning that happens throughout time mm-hmm. seriously i'm blue walked so that maya he could run so that what, the, <laughs> what does the fox say could rocket straight up into the stratosphere <laughs> and then like if you want to get to like god level that's when you get to the song big enough with the guy just yelling 
that's when you just like entered the like you know when you're watching an anime and it's like in its 15th season and it's just gone like totally off the walls and the villains are like 40 galaxies tall like that's how big they are (laughs) that's where we are with music now what was that 2018 it's it's now nothing downhill as we can tell 2020 kind of been downhill year sort of so i mean we talked about we talked about this on the podcast uh this week Vin Diesel has a song out, so I think that just kind of signifies the crashing back down to the earth after rocketing through the mm-hmm. atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Nothing lasts forever, you know. Mm-hmm. Just, just crashing <laughs> down. It must be reborn. Die <laughs> <laughs> and be reborn. Oh my goodness! But aside from pop slash dance house music hits of the late '90s and early 2000s. We're going to be talking about uh, the novel Thrawn Ascendancy, Chaos Rising. So book one of a brand new Thrawn trilogy written by Timothy Zahn. And uh, this trilogy is a prequel to the 2017 to 2019 Thrawn trilogy, which we love. Um, But this is part one of a two-part discussion. So we're only going to be reading through the first half of the book um, so up through page 187 of Thrawn Ascendancy, you're going to get spoiled. I think that goes without saying. <laughs> if you haven't read it and you want to read it and not get spoiled, just save us for later. It'll be it'll be fine. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty exciting. Pretty exciting stuff. And um, speaking of all the things in Reed's life that are blue, <laughs> and one thing you forgot to mention are your page borders. Yes. Oh. I... I <laughs> I love that so much. I, you know, whoever it's, it's, came it's up a really with nice it, touch. I don't know if it yeah. was someone at publishing or if it was, you know, Zahn himself, but it, it's it's brilliant. It was Thrawn. It was, it was, it was Thrawn. Thrawn himself. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, like, just thinking about the extra money to print just blue borders on every single page of every single book, it they're not they're not pulling and or they're pulling all the stops out for this one. Mm-hmm. Just saying. It's delightful. It is delightful. But yeah, so just like a really quick summary of kind of what's been happening so far. Uh, the story begins with a young Thrawn before he becomes a member of the powerful family, the Myth, one of the nine, I believe, nine ruling houses of the Chiss. Um, so he's recognized really early as being a candidate become to become a merit adoptive, which is one of the ways that the families expand along with bloodlines um and then he paved his way to join the expansionary defense fleet academy as he as expected because we know where it goes and uh his genius makes him both an outsider among the chiss and both an incredible asset as well and the story's told with a split narrative with present day chapters interspersed with interludes that are described as memories which give more insight to chiss culture and to specific characters relevant to both Present and past stories, such as Admiral Aralani and uh, Talia, which are exciting, exciting stuff. So, woo, yeah. In the, an unknown civilization has attacked the Chiss home world of Xilla. Is that how we're going to go with that? Or is anybody re- listening to the audiobook, or are you guys reading the actual book itself? You know, call me old fashioned, but there's something to be said. <laughs> <laughs> for going to a bookstore 
or in this case, going to a website, putting your credit <laughs> card info in the page, and then doing curbside pickup, and in your hand, getting a product that you can feel and you can touch and realize, I have no idea how to say any of these people's names. So, you know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing. I usually get, like, the audiobook as well. And sometimes I'll read, and then if I'm driving, I'll, like, let's find out. I was on chapter whatever. I'm going to start going from there. But this time I, I haven't done that. Um, so I apologize if anybody's listening to the audiobook and hears me butcher literally every word. <laughs> Uh, I am a fake fan. I just want to put that out there. Um, You're going to lose your, 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 your chiss listenership of the show is going to be, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, I'm going back to Sicilia. That's right. <laughs> Dude, I didn't even put an extra eye in there. See, it's going to be just a, just a train wreck. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> but yeah, so the uh, Unknown Civilization has attacked the home world of whatever it's described as, <laughs> and Thrawn and Arlani end up investigating the attackers, often bending the rules and wishes of the ruling families to do so. Uh, Thrawn has discovered that there's a group called the Nicardoon, I think, that are conquering other worlds <laughs> that are surrounding the Chiss homeworld, often decimating large groups of people. And when we left off, Thrawn covertly secures passage aboard a ship from a neighbor- neighboring government that has not yet been conquered by the Nicardoon. Thrawn and his myth-adoptive sibling and former Skywalker, Talias, I guess, um, are visiting the planet Primea, which is a nation that they suspect has been conquered. In order to get more information on how the Nicardoon operate and what methods they are using to so swiftly and thoroughly conquer entire worlds. So, a little bit of a cliffhanger we left on. Like, stuff's about to go down. And is it, I think it's also, might be worth mentioning... Um, this takes place during, uh, it's like pre-Clone Wars? Yes. Yeah, that I, is I think that's the right. impression I got. You can look yeah. at the fancy little timeline at the beginning of the book. Oh, which look has it, it, it has it taking on. place between <laughs> Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, according to the uh, timeline. So it's during the Clone Wars. So it could be, yeah, okay. Which is interesting mm. because as, as we know... In you know the main trilogy of Thrawn, you know Thrawn makes it to what I'll say our galaxy, but you know the the main story during the time of the Clone Wars in the the second Thrawn novel. So it'd be curious to see how much time this trilogy will progress, knowing where he has to go. Pretty soon, exactly off to Batu. Mm-hmm. Off to Batu. <laughs> To, to meet August. Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> You're not blue. <laughs> oh, goodness. So do y'all just want to dive right on in? Let's, Let's do it. Do it. All right. So who wants to start? What are your first impressions of the first half of this novel so far? Oh, we're all so polite. <laughs> no, after you. Let's let the guest go. We'll let the guest go first. That's okay. right. Guest first. <laughs> well, I absolutely, I, I love this novel, and I had to stop myself from keep on reading uh, because you know I wanted the first half to be fresh as we went to this discussion. So I've been sitting with the book tantalizing me, like next to my bed for a week now, or however long it's been since I got to that halfway point. I think it's it's super cool how. 
you know, our main boy, Timothy. <laughs> We're on a first name basis. No, Better <laughs> enough, we can do that. Now, Timothy John was given, you know, a carte blanche to sort of write whatever story he wanted to do in whatever environment he wanted. You know, something that I'm not going to say it's bothered me, but something about Lucas publishing that gets almost kind of irksome is how everything has to tie in to something else. You know, I think about how, oh, okay, like Thrawn has to go to Batu because we want to start laying the seed seeds there because that's going to be, you know, what's going to be at Disneyland and Disney World, you know? So that's a beginning of tying into a real world thing or about how like in Resistance Reborn, they have to go to the planet Bracca because we're talking about Jedi Fallen Order at the same time. Or let's have these little tie-ins to movies or to other books or to the comics or to other stuff that we at Disney slash Lucas can sell to you. Right. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm not bashing on this by any stretch, but it's fun to see. Here's a story that's able to be 100 percent creative. You can just make up all the zany planets, characters, mythos and lore that you want to without having to say, is this tying into whatever the long term vision of the, the story group and everything is, which is great. And I could be totally wrong for all we know, like Ryan Johnson's trilogy <laughs> is going to focus on, you know, General Yiv. I'll be like, ah, damn it. <laughs> That's the only reason he's in here. Ryan Played Johnson. You know. <laughs> we're we're going we're gonna to make it to 188, and it's automatically going to be like <laughs> heading to Batu. Like, here, here we go, everybody. Like, oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just – I love the sheer originality of it, and it, it plays so much like, um, like a medieval European drama almost. You know, because of the statecraft and the politicking, how you don't have effectively two factions, which is what we see in every other Star Wars medium in terms of here's the good guys and here's the bad guys. One big empire and people trying to overthrow it or two competing factions for the same general space. I mean, already, like I applauded how in the sequel trilogy, we have the New Republic and the First Order, and the Resistance, and this little like triad of stuff going on, but that doesn't last too long. So that's why it's cool to see that out in the chaos, you have all these kind of independent planets, and the Chiss aren't trying to take over everything. They're just trying to sort of be the biggest guy on the block, but not expand that. It's cool to see planets interacting like that in a way that I don't think we've seen, at least in the Star Wars new canon uh, yet. And so that's why it kind of plays like I'm picturing like a map of Europe and, oh, you know, here's the Northern Italians are, uh, insert alien name I can't pronounce, you know, <laughs> or like Primea is <laughs> like Monaco, you know, like, oh, and, and the Holy Roman Empire may be starting to form, but we're not quite sure. So let's send, let's send the, uh, you know, I don't know, the English king to investigate, you know, the, very poor comparisons there off the fly. But I really love how we're not dealing with one massive entity trying to retain control like we see with the empire or trying to over or someone trying to overthrow that. So I think that's a unique political situation. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, we talk a lot or, you know, just in general, not necessarily us three about this specifically, but like in general, as fans, we talk a lot about, um, you know, what, what does star Wars look like, you know, 20 years from now? And like, what are, what do you start, like, what are the stories like when you get to, when you take that step to like detach from what Star Wars has been like for, for the past 40, 
so 43 years or whatever. Um, and like, I feel like this, like, this is kind of it. Like, I remember feeling that way when, um, the things like the Grisk started showing up in the other, uh, uh, trilogy of books. And, and it was like, how do you build a Star Wars universe using nothing that we know before? Right. And, um, like even even to a degree, the High Republic I feel like is is still leaning on enough mm-hmm. of what we know to where it's yeah. like to where it's like oh, okay I mean yeah it's the it's a Jedi it's a Jedi Order right like we got that I mean it's got Yoda um, in it for crying out yeah loud, you it's know? got Yoda <laughs> there we go even though he looks young and buff and hot um, <laughs> but uh <laughs> but yeah this is like yeah let's let's take um I mean we know Thrawn but he's a very small piece of the pie and you know let's let's build this expansive sort of yeah like it's like he just wrote a sci-fi novel or something and was like yeah well let's let's you know let's make it star wars like this this story could exist in its own ip but it's like uh you know it's it's star wars though and i mm-hmm. feel like that's a that's a cool um that's a cool realm for for him to be working in and and like sort of building out from and and yeah like maybe yeah maybe uh you know 10 years from now we'll all be watching the animated Chiss Ascendancy show but uh <laughs> oh. oh don't tease me like that <laughs> I mean yeah that'd be that'd be pretty amazing but <laughs> I think I think this feels like the first steps of making Star Wars that is its own uh, mythos like it like it's it's detaching and creating its own thing kind of thing um so that's that's really exciting when when reading this stuff no i totally agree because like the one thing that you can hear me harping on since the very first the 2017 thon th- thon i can't talk today it's a thon song um <laughs> Oh, goodness. But yeah, since we discussed the the 2017 Thrawn novel on here, like the thing that keeps like that I've been like screaming into a microphone for years now has been, tell me what the Chiss Ascendancy looks like. I want to know their culture. I want to know their planet. I want to know how they do things. And I want to know their neighbors and their role in the chaos as we know it now. And this is the book that I've been waiting for. I've been dying. I just, I've always loved Thrawn since, man, since the original Thrawn trilogy. And, you know, this is, this, this has been my, my dude. I always have, you know, I always have a horse in the race when there's a Thrawn novel coming out. So it's, um, this is exactly what I've wanted. It's answered a lot of questions so far that, I have had in the past about Thrawn as to his place in the ascendancy. Is he, does he stick out? Is he a sore thumb there as well as in the empire? And of course, now we know that answer is kind of, (laughs) yeah, but there's a lot of, but it also leaves a lot of questions about who is putting him in these positions. What are, is their goal for him and why don't the other families like him as much? Um, why are we trying to stop what's different or is that just a story of human nature the way that it is? If we don't understand it, if we can't see the thought process, it's it's a witch. So we're not going to 
deal with it. Um, but you know, this is, this is exactly what I've been looking for. And I gotta say so far, not, I'm definitely not let down. And I, and I'm with you, Reed. I really want to keep reading. (laughs) It's been driving me crazy. Um, but luckily after today, we can all start to move on. There you go. And I I think (laughs) another thing, just talking about the, like the first half of the novel itself, um, I found myself in the other trilogy, like tapering off in interest. Like the like the first one hit me hard, and then from there it was like, second one was good, third one was pretty good, um, but like it, it definitely was like it was a trajectory that was going down is like for me, mm-hmm. and then this book like shot back up to like where the first one got me. Like this one, I'm like, ooh. I like kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think uh, that's that's sort of. I hope <laughs> I, I hope the trajectory does not <laughs> repeat itself. Um, but <laughs> but it's it's definitely like exciting to be reading this book. Um, and like for all the things you said, like just the the deepening of the Chiss culture, and like I, I find myself really just enjoying Chiss. Like I'm like. Man, these guys are cool. That's some good chiss, man. Yeah. Like, bring <laughs> bring that bucket and that mop. <laughs> we, got some, we got some blue-ass chiss going on here. And, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, pre- it's pretty great. I, I just, yeah, and Thrawn is, Thrawn is very, uh, he's, he's just a cool, he's a cool guy in this book. He definitely is. And yeah, so I guess that, like, we can start to talk a little bit about the Chiss culture and kind of how everything is working together. Um, the aristocracy versus the explan- expansionary defense fleet. It's And they're like pacifist, supposedly non-aggressive, I guess would be the, the right term, culture. Um, which is interesting that Thrawn would come from this weird hodgepodge of factors because he uh, he always struck me as the kind of person, at least they paint him in Rebels for me, which is going to be really fun to go rewatch his episodes after reading this, mm-hmm. um, just to see where we were and where we go. <laughs> um but yeah, it's just it, I, I found it was a really interesting dynamic between the aristocracy and the military. It, like, there's a lot of overlap. They kind of like the way that they have merit adoptives that they put through the military academy, which are kind of like it. It, it was interesting because them doing that, plus also actively having to be like, well, we don't actively put our hands in the cookie jar of the military we're on our own and they run things on our own and we're not supposed to influence it which is ridiculous because of course they do <laughs> mm-hmm. like um it, it it's just a weird it's a weird dynamic for me and i'm still not trying to uh, in a good way in a good way and i'm still just trying kind of trying to figure out um in my own mind what their role for Thrawn is because clearly he's identified very young as being somebody that the myth family wants to adopt so much so that they don't go through the normal bureaucracy. They just kind of override it and do it. So what I'm curious is 
what do you think the plan for Thrawn is? I know that's super early on to be discussing like stuff like that. Only first half of a trilogy where we don't really know the world quite yet. Um, what are y'all? What do y'all predict? <laughs> I'll let Reed go first. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, you're so you're so nice. Yes, first. Well, I, I think it's interesting <laughs> because you sort of have um, kind of two options. It looks like you know when you're entering the the, the Chiss military, the expansionary defense fleet. You know, you can either go where it's the um, you know the Aralani or General Bakif route, where you sort of remove the shell of your family, right, and you are dedicated fully to um, you know to the military. And it seems like that is, at least a few pages in, that's considered kind of a loss to the family that puts you up there in the first place. Or I don't know, like they try to hold stuff over to you, but you're fully committed to, you know, the fleet first. And so I don't think that's what they ultimately have in mind for Thrawn. And, I, but I don't, I, I can't come back and say what it is that they do have in mind for him. And I think that, the only little tiny piece of evidence I, I guess have in this is the fact that we see him so much later on still going by Thrawn and not Ron Arudu, you know, mm-hmm. that's what he would be if he did take the Arlani route or he took the Bakif, 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 I don't know what the, how to say it route is. So the fact that he keeps his family name the entire time that we see him, even into, you know, the time of the galactic empire, which, you know, fast forward this by at least, I don't know, 15 years when he first pops up. I, I need to revisit that timeline there. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. And especially since we see there is that one syndic member of his family who has given uh, Thalius or Talius a little, uh, you know, mission of her own that we haven't really fully mm-hmm. seen. I'm sure that's going to tie into it somehow. But I think they want to keep him in the family and not fully commit him over to the expansionary defensive fleet. And maybe this whole idea of let's play off the fact that he's a bit quirky and he doesn't get along with other people as well. Maybe that's going to prevent him from going full on into the fleet so he can still be our agent and somehow, but they're still not able to fully control him because Thrawn is Thrawn. I don't know. That's just me totally spitballing off the moment here. Yeah. Like just to, just to also like wildly speculate, I almost feel like, Based on where we pick him up in uh, in the first Thrawn novel, um, I feel like they want like a fall guy, <laughs> right? And like, mm. and this guy and Thrawn being, you know, the the you know the weirdo of the of the lot, um, like, but also brilliant. The Sheldon sort of Cooper, like... if you will. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Bazinga, <laughs> as, as Theron always said. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, you know because we we like find him sent on this like mission, right? Where he's like abandoned to like look on the to like be discovered by the Empire, right? Like that—that's yeah. how that starts, right? Um, so it's almost like yeah, they want this like guinea pig guy who it's like, well, we don't want to do it, just. Make Thrawn do it, kind of thing. <laughs> like, I wonder. I wonder if that's where this sort of goes, like eventually. Um, because I don't like. Obviously, there's a lot we don't know about where even this trilogy will end. Like, f- for all we know, 
the last book of this trilogy could be post rebels, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so either, you know, if we, if we just assume that it takes place in this time frame, you know, the last book could be setting up that mission for when they sort of like ditch him to get, um, caught, like picked up by the empire. So yeah, that's kind of like my impression. It's like, they want, they want to use him like definitely. Right. Like it's, but I don't think they, I don't really think anyone has his interests. It's like, they don't, they're not like personally inter- in, like invested in him. It's really just like this, this case of what can he do mm-hmm. for us. Definitely. He's their, he's their pawn in, in the scheme of, inf- of having house influence over the military is kind of like my impression of it. But yeah, I'm not sure because at the moment it seems like it seems like since we haven't really discussed what's beyond the chaos, I could see it going to a place where they try and you know send their feelers out beyond their region. Maybe this threat from the Nick Cardoon ends up being uh, a reason that they might want to look outward. Um, I don't know. It's it's it's. It, I'm, it's, there's a lot of possibilities where this could go because, like you said, Reed, it's just so open at this point. And um, I really just want to learn more about the culture in general and, and why what makes Thrawn so different and such a sore thumb in, in their society as well when he seems to have abilities that should be praised, mm-hmm. especially if they're looking for a gifted child to be adopted into their own house to gain notoriety prestige whatever i why would they why would he have all the things they want and still be a weirdo um <laughs> why do you but, still be a weirdo man <laughs> <laughs> exactly like, <laughs> it's like the thing of like he, he's like a perceived troublemaker right mm-hmm. so i think that's kind of the thing right like where uh it's like yeah in a in a perfect world he has it all but having it all makes their lives difficult, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It kind of like reminds me of one thing that my dad said the other day is like, everybody watches the news or watches the television program of the news guy who thinks like me because that guy's really smart. But mm-hmm. Thrawn, even if he is in actuality really smart, he doesn't think like me. Yeah. So, which makes him foreign and weird. And <laughs> how about art, right guys? <laughs> I love that part where they like they they want to send him to that planet with the ambassador and they're like I hear they have great museums Thrawn will like that <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness everyone's yeah, we can... a joke in the ascendancy <laughs> <laughs> oh god speaking of of Thrawn's love for art and music and culture that that uh how about let's talk a little bit about Thrawn and Aralani as and their relationship how how far back it goes and uh was it hot or not guys (laughs) (laughs) I just I I just love that bit you know very early when oh when when Thrawn said he was going to take her out she was expecting to go to the club you know, go out on a, you know, the town, have a nice dinner. Like, what? We're doing an art gallery. <laughs> and, like, I just imagine that she's, like, 
like dressed up to go to the club. So like Thrawn is wearing, you know, <laughs> probably his military outfit still, right? Or something very, you know, conservative. And then, you know, Arlani is like wearing a nice little sexy dress and, you know, nice heels <laughs> that she's going to take off when she's dancing anyway. And her hair is all done up good and whatnot. And no, she's just standing out like a sore thumb, like an art gallery with a bunch of like elderly chiss with walkers, you know? <laughs> and she's showing some leg. Yeah, she's showing some leg, you know, <laughs> up and down. <laughs> But it makes a question, you know, <laughs> a quick detour. When chis get older, do they get less blue? Is that part of the aging process? Like, do they lose their blueness? Like how a dog becomes, like their fur color becomes whiter? Oh, that is a good question. It's a good question, <laughs> Timothy's on must address this. Come on, Timothy, get on it. <laughs> Come on the show, TZ. So, so, something for the <laughs> listeners to chew on, you know? There's no right answer, but... No, I love the art gallery date so much because it's like, as she slowly realized, like, oh, well, what do I got here? Oh, tableware, scoffy tableware. Oh, my goodness. You know, that it probably... Perfect for stabbing someone you don't trust as long as it's facing <laughs> the right direction. Right direction. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. I don't know how... I, I give him a lot of credit, uh, Timothy Zahn, for coming up with this stuff, you know? To try to think, well, what's a type of art piece we haven't had Thrawn analyze yet? And let's throw it that way. And he's like, oh, I know, forks and knives. There we go. Perfect. It's like, that's so weird. But no, it's done very well. And I think that it does start to get kind of sexy as that little memory chapter starts to build up a little bit. So I don't know. Yeah, buddy. I think I, think I, I uh, lean towards sexy. <laughs> like, it's kind of, I think there's something kind of fun about it. And, like, it's it's such a great trope as well. Like, and it, and I think that's what's so cool about this book in general is using these sort of, like, tropes we, we, like, loosely know from other things, just, like, from culture and other stories, but twisting them into this, like we said, like, talked about earlier, like, very unique take on a on a star wars universe and um like you know just briefly mentioning the the ruling houses and like like we all know that kind of story of you know the the political hierarchs Mm -hmm. being the weird kind of like um annoying people always trying to intervene and then you know like the military it's like you, you watch like any like Roman Republic. Yeah, story, absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, like the senators and the syndics, you know, they're like the, they're like this, um, they're like the same side of the equation. And then you have like the military, the generals. And then, and this is kind of like, this felt like, a, um, you know, the more fun, casual version of that where you get the awkward date, but <laughs> it, but it turns kind of fun and it, they add, they are vibing in a way. And, like I just think that's like a fun trope, and I I found it to be appealing. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's one of the things that I thought about it. I like I had the, I think I would lean. I'm more in the middle of like awkward and sexy for that whole date, um, because obviously I think that I just think that she seems quite interested. But does Thrawn pick up on this? <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I want to know is is he is he picking up what she's putting down at this and clearly she's interested in the way he thinks and then they have their like sexy sparring battle oh, fighting yeah, each other nice. which is 
I like to imagine her like just like slicing a a new slit in her dress so she can move better. Oh yeah, and there's like oh my god, there's like a little <laughs> little monster <laughs> up there, you know. Yep. Oh uh, my god. <laughs> now I'm picturing her fighting in a sequined little tiny skimpy clubbing dress. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Man, we 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 beat this dead horse a lot when uh, when the third book came out. But yes, we did. Carloni can can get it in every single way imaginable. <laughs> homie, <laughs> homie is working it no matter what she's doing. <laughs> I do love the idea of Thrawn being like, oh my god, I love your dress. And she's like, really? Yeah, look at the quality of the stitching. I really think that the seamstress working on it is having an affair with her husband right now, but she's really good in a street <laughs> fight. <laughs> oh, goodness. But yeah, so one thing that we get to explore a little bit more in this book as well is... um the chaos, the unknown regions with their constantly changing hyperlanes. Um, so we have, we get another little sneak peek at the Skywalkers from another side, from the side of their caretakers, um, and specifically from an ex Skywalker and member of the Myth family, Thalias. Thalias, I, I'm going to say it like 15 different ways throughout this episode, and one of them will probably be right. Um, <laughs> But one thing that we do get to take another look at is navigating the chaos and uh, the different ways that they can do that. Um, Why don't we talk a little bit about the Skywalkers and like what we've been thinking about and what we've learned in this novel as opposed to the little we learned in uh, Thrawn Treason. If anyone wants to jump off on the Skywalkers. Uh, I mean, just to go with an initial comparison here, I remember reading Thrawn Treason and, and when you get that little like tease and statement of, oh, there's four sensitive chips, like what? Holy moly. And, and so that that's really just, a, it was a cool little taste of what was coming. And then I think it's neat that unlike other species, like when we see the Jedi or the Sith, how, you know, these Skywalkers lose their connection or at least lose their, you know, key ability that makes them valuable to society and how quickly like once they're through as we learn that most of them just kind of get reabsorbed and kind of just like i'm gonna go live the court life effectively you know get adopted by whatever family they want to and just kind of live fancy and free almost as like adornments in various households and so it's kind of tragic in a way you know it's sort of like turning into a circus of them you know this is what i once could do i'm so exhausted with it so let me just kind of be on display. And so that's what makes uh, Thalia such a unique character in the uh, sense that, you know, they point out she actually wants to come back and do it, but actually, I guess she doesn't want to come back and do it, but that's the only way she can manage to get on a ship with her. uh... I I don't know. Is Thrawn a senpai type role here with her? I'm not quite sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's my vibe. She like, she had that run in with him and she's just always wanted to be, like his favorite after that. Mm-hmm. Which is okay. Let okay, do, do we think she wants to get it as well? Is is that what the weird adoptive sibling she has a weird attachment to it and it would be slightly inappropriate because from coming from like the grooming aspect. Oh. Well, there's the cat's lunch. Sorry guys. 
Imperial okay. Snow. Okay. Yeah. That got eat. I don't necessarily see a like, like a like a wanting it that way. I think I think it's just this. It's like this extreme. <laughs> I think it's just like this extreme, uh, like admiration and to be like revered, maybe, um, or like to just to like be in his club kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. that's that's the vibe I get. I don't I don't see it as like a thirsting kind of thing. Yeah, I'm I'm interested because I understand her attachment to him because he was the only he seemed like the only person who gave her genuinely honest advice and treated her like a human and not a tool and a person with um, potential as opposed to a person whose use was spent. It had been all used up, but I, but her, there's a very strong attachment there that I'm trying, I'm still trying to figure out what I feel about it specifically. Um, I'm excited about it because I don't, I don't, I think that she will play an important role probably through the books um, just because it seems like she has some experience and potential that could be useful. And uh, I don't know. It's pretty interesting. But I was, I, I wonder they said that now at the time that they're at that former Skywalkers never become caretakers anymore. And why do you think that is? (laughs) Just out of curiosity. Well, as we see in previous Star Wars media, you know, so Luke Skywalker, some could say, is a former Skywalker, and he moves to October. There are caretakers there, and clearly <laughs> caretakers are way shorter than him. He wouldn't fit in the clothing. He wouldn't fit in the clothing. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, it, yeah. it seems to be, right, well, I was going to say, it seems to be burnout, you know, more than anything else. Um. Yeah, I could see that. But it, yeah, it just seems weird. Like, like especially if they are going to be adopted into these families. I, I know it's a form of respect in the novel to adopt a former Skywalker. It's like good for your household. But is that – it doesn't make sense that you would not want to adopt someone and then utilize them in a role of importance. But – there's, I mean, obviously, there's a lot more show than substance a lot of times, it seems, with these different families, and it's all about looking good and not actually about doing good is also an impression that mm-hmm. I get from them. Um, But I did just, it, that was so crazy to me. I'm like, who better to understand what a kid, a, like a small child is going through with that special ability than somebody that also went through that? So it's a unique experience. and. Looking at it from the other side of Skywalkers, because um, essentially you are babysitting these very powerful little kids. Yeah, um, just interesting glorified yeah. babysitting. And I think, like, like we were just sort of talking about. I think it's a really, um, it's a really just smart and interesting choice to make the to like build this sort of dynamic with the skywalkers and what that says about just society about you know looking good not doing good and you know it's like yeah like by all yeah by all accounts you should be you should be you know what like why are you not useful anymore kind of thing 
Um, but this idea that once you stop that, the only use we really care about, um, you're not really relevant anymore. So, yeah, it's like it's it's really cool that um, you made this sort of creative choice because it it just deepens this thing that we sort of we learned about a bit, right? Um, but now it's now it's this whole system of you know discarding people and like patronizing people once they're done and pretending they're still important but they're not kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah like talk about like a lack of self-worth at that point being like well i'm not useful anymore so i as well sit around and drink fancy cocktails at the myth party yeah and it was it was really cool to frame that like to frame that from a like first person point of view, but with, uh, like you know, with Thrawn being the one to like show this character the light, <laughs> almost kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's it's made that the Talias or uh, what are we going with Thalias? Uh, you're feeling yes, me. Uh, write it. There we go. <laughs> uh, the the Thalias um, dynamic. One of the more interesting ones in the in the novel, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for sure. Can we take a moment to talk about just the name Skywalker, though? We must. We, we have to. Okay. So I have this kind of this head cannon lined up because of it. So obviously, we all can agree: Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, kind of an idiot, right? Really, like <laughs> poor perception of stuff. So I think at some point, either you know during his initial mission with Thrawn or when Thrawn is later doing stuff around the time of uh, Thrawn treason, you know, the Skywalker role in Chiss society makes it to Vader. So Vader becomes aware of the fact there's these Chiss called Skywalkers. Now fast forward like a couple of years or months, you know how people said, how come the empire never found Luke? So this is what I think happened. Some guy walks up to my Lord. There's a Skywalker that has been found on Tatooine. It's like, Oh, no way. There's a Chiss on Tatooine. How the hell did that happen? Oh, man. <laughs> what are they doing all the way over there? That place is a dump. <laughs> Doofus. <laughs> all right. Like he's forgotten his own last name, you know? So he's like, okay. Because that's also how Vader really talks. The James Earl Jones stuff. No, it's... <laughs> hey! <laughs> it's just a voice changer. Only <laughs> <laughs> he wants to sound menacing. <laughs> so anyhow <laughs> like that that's where i think the name comes into play where there's going to be some like you know star wars comic that comes out that's stupid in every other regard except that so you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i just did they call them skywalkers in the third book treason yes okay or wait i think it was alliance actually that they talked about it right was that when the no Trying to remember. I know you don't actually like meet one until treason, and that's where Eli Vanto get or Vanto, I don't know what it is, Vanto Vanto gets the um like the job of he has to trace like the Skywalker family routes or a family uh, trends, you know, seeing if you could predict, you know, what are birthing pools that could produce someone who's force sensitive in that regard. But I forget if the name is actually dropped in uh, Alliance. I see. So I guess, yeah, this is not a particularly unique discussion for this novel, but I think just the the BDE 
of Timothy Zahn. <laughs> My man Timothy. And, and or the, the story group. Like, to, to whoever worked on this or publishing, to go with this thing and be like, you know what, let's call them Skywalkers. And, I, like, to me, that just opens up this insane, like, backdoor of what that name means now. And what the history of Shmi Skywalker's ancestors were. Yeah. Like, it can't be a coincidence, right? Like, you can't have an entire, like, class of super, super uh, powered blue people called Skywalker and then just some gal on Tatooine, you know, called Skywalker. Okay. Like, it's it's the coolest. Yeah. It's it, Like, there's no, there's no answer, obviously, but... It, like you know, like I mean, we just talked about head cannons. <laughs> you know, it's like you can come up with so many ideas and stories of what some you know fourth generation ago, or you know even further maybe Skywalker. Um, mm-hmm. Like what they like? Did they meet a Chiss? Are they like descended from Chiss? Like it's it's so wild. Okay, and it's such an exciting. A- yeah, absolutely. And I did a little bit of cheating to look online just now to see what was the first book it showed up and it was an alliances. And that had me stumble upon a theory that just blew my mind. Well, not really, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's a good one. How? So Ray literally earns the title Skywalker in uh, the rise of Skywalker by being the one who navigates the resistance fleet to Exegol. Oh shit! So she is a literal Skywalker in terms of Literally. the thing. You know, obviously she has the Wayfinder, but if you need to have a bit of the, an understanding of the Force to be able to probably use it correctly or follow it correctly. So, um, anyhow, just a neat little. Oh, that is a really cool connection. Yeah. That is a really cool. And you know what? It was yeah. On, take it was that, on, Ray Skywalker. On screen rant of all players, you know. So what do you? Know? <laughs> hey guys, you know? guys, hear me out. Hear me out. Five years after the rise of Skywalker, Ray goes on an adventure into the Chiss Ascendancy to meet some other Skywalkers. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Yeah, oh, that, that's really that's a really fun connection. That's cool. Ray goes into the Chiss Ascendancy to find Thrawn and Ezra. Do it. <laughs> 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 for good measure. <laughs> oh goodness. But yeah, so there's like we have our skywalkers and we get like a little bit more of a look at the skywalkers, but we also learn of other ways that um one can navigate through the chaos and the other is the navigators guild and their pathfinders. So you have Skywalkers and Pathfinders. And the Pathfinders uh, work for the guild and they're kind of independent contractors who are able to use, to some extent, it seems, the Force. There's some sort of Force-worshipping group of people that are able to navigate not quite as efficiently as the Skywalkers, so it seems. Plus, you have to hire them. Um, But they refer to the Force as the Great Presence and use a sensory deprivation chamber to help ships navigate through the cosmos which it's it's 
what are your thoughts on on the Navigators Guild? How how they run? Why uh, aren't they used as much? And what do they and do they not know about the Chiss navigation? Wait, is is the idea that they don't know about the Skywalkers? Is that what? That was kind of the impression yeah. that I had yeah. because it seemed like it seemed like they the Skywalkers were a bit of a well kept secret, and um, which which makes me interested. I don't know. I don't know why. Well, but, I think we know why you'd want to try to keep them a secret. <laughs> Uh, because we see, I mean, that's what the Grisk are trying to kidnap in the first place. You know, the, right. so mm-hmm. there is the Cat the, the later that. evidence, you know, in terms of, you know, looking forward about confirming why keeping secret makes sense. So it seems like they would, you know, get these navigators just purely for show. Because also it seems like, you know, the navigators, though, secrecy is kind of important. And, you know, pilot, navigator, confidentiality, I, I guess, is a thing. You know, that word spreads and gets around so you know between them that some navigator like oh yeah i just flew with the chiss did what i needed to do so as far as they're concerned about the chiss versus any other species or any other society out there they have to need them that's also giving them a false sense of uh like job security and also in their abilities too you know it's kind of there's something to be said for making someone feel more special than they actually are (laughs) Mm-hmm. So I think there's a degree of manipulation going on there. Um, yeah. Which then makes you wonder why this Kalari guy is playing both sides. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So Thrawn, we meet in a memory. Thrawn works with Kalori, the guild pathfinder. And, um, yeah, we find out he's working with our, what seems to be big bad of this story, Yiv the Benevolent, leader of the Nicardoon. Um, yeah, but what are your impressions of, of Kilori about, and, and, you know, they say in the book that, um, they have to keep, uh, the Navigators Guild deals in client confidentiality and that, quote, the most heinous criminal activity needed to be as safe from exposure as the most innocent freighter passage or military exercise. And uh, why does Killory immediately break that confidentiality? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he seems to be a pretty cowardly guy at least in the presence of Yiv. So I don't know if maybe there was like an initial run in between the two of them and he was bullied or threatened into being an agent of sorts. Um, Or if he's doing it for more opportunistic reasons, but I don't know, like somebody who is, you know, a pathfinder with the navigation, uh, pardon me, the navigators guild, you know, what, what is it that they want? Because it seems like they're living a pretty, comfortable life going through a comfortable existence so i don't know what the positive thing yiv the benevolent could be offering in terms of the carrot so that's why i'm thinking it's more of the stick uh mm-hmm. but i don't know something could could come up you know we have half a book left so True that. yeah that does seem to be the relationship right like 
<laughs> he's like, I, I'm going to die. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to die in this room right here until this guy decides, you know, unless he decides I'm, I'm worth hanging around to. Um, which I mean, which also brings me to Yiv. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of a larger than life kind of villain. And I'm excited for this guy because we haven't gotten too much of him, but he seems like he has the potential to be this, you know, sort of like a big villain, like big, uh, you know, conquering villain. Um, but then also it's, you know, it's exciting to see how he might also be like how that illusion might get cut, you know, through, through whatever twists may come. Uh, so I, I'm trusting Zahn that he's not like totally one note. Um, but I, I think either, either way, I like, I like that note if it is just one note, but, <laughs> but, right. I'm, but I'm, I'm hoping there's going to be some more kind of twist to him. But I, but I think from, from just the one, I, I think just one scene we had really with him in this first half, um, it, it was, it's kind of, a, it's, a, he's an exciting villain, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is. And I'm interested just in his name because from the one scene we've gotten, uh, he doesn't sound very benevolent to me. <laughs> well, it's almost, it's from almost like point of uh, view. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like Thanos, right? Where, where he's like, obviously this mass murderer kind of thing, but he parades himself as this, I'm saving you all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> So he's like my my benevolence of here long term like <laughs> uh like existence. Um so yeah, it it is interesting, yeah, and in how how they how he might be you know, advertising himself because I think they they talk that one scene it like talks about how they're in the early stages of a of a um conquest, mm-hmm. right? And they've still got the ships, you know, gunboat diplomacy style just hanging out um just so you know what they can do if they wanted to do it uh so it it seems like they're they don't just go in and blow stuff up there is like this sort of phase of well why don't you join us and if you don't you can take that up with my cannons kind of thing (laughs) um so yeah i think i think it's a really interesting um thing to have set up and that's that's definitely going to be a a cool thing to discover as we, as we push forward. I just like imagining that there's giving the Thanos comparison that there's an Ebony Maw char- type character walking around. Be blessed for you have been selected to be the children of Yiv, <laughs> the benevolent. <laughs> Let his benevolence envelop you and you shall be ascended me, in the chaos. Give me his Funko Pop. <laughs> <laughs> now that's like <laughs> Give me a Funko Pop because it's it's we mentioned we touched on it earlier, but like it's nice to not have pictures and reference for so many things that we all can kind of em- envision what we want to see mm-hmm. for um for all of it. But let's see here. So we have within the Pathfinders within their relationship to to Yiv and Kalori working for Yiv. Um, one thing that is interesting is how they all view the force. Um, and so the path, and, but what's interesting to me as well, as well as how they're not able to 
manipulate it in the same way as we know in the Republic at the time. Um, so they kind of so the Pathfinders refer to the Force as the Great Presence. I think I said that. Um, but you know, it's it's interesting because they've wrapped their own sort of Legends of Luke Skywalker investigation. Uh, you know, it's it's a different view of the Force that like. Their version of heaven is being, quote, deemed worthy to ride the hyperspace ridges guiding future pathfinders through the chaos. And their version of hell is being absorbed and lost forever. Um, There's a lot of things that I'm... Because I know... Because I know that, that Thrawn ends up meeting a Jedi and seeing his abilities. What I want to know is how much does everybody know about each other at this point as far as like as far as the force um obviously the skywalkers are a mystery and it's no big mystery that the pathfinders are you know use the great presence to help them navigate um i lost my train of thought in there i was going somewhere i don't know where it was though <laughs> Um, Nobody's using the force as a a tool outside of navigation skills, perhaps? Yes, that is what I want to know, is what else is going on throughout the galaxy, or throughout the chaos, um, as far as the force goes, and why are they so limited and testing its abilities, and why does it fade? Mm -hmm. Does it have something to do with the chaos itself? Does it have something to do with... Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? I, I think that bit you said there about having to do with the chaos it, itself, I, I, I think is rather interesting. That there's something that, you know, whatever is the factors, you know, sciency or mythologically that's making it so hard to navigate could be clouding the midichlorians or whatnot. You know, that if you were to pick up these characters, you know, the Pathfinders and the Skywalkers, and you were to put them in, you know the Star Wars galaxy that we all know, or the Jedi and the Sith do their things, that maybe there'd be a sudden clarity to them, right? And they can be in touch with the Force in ways they hadn't been before. Uh, reversely, it'd be fun to see that if you were to pick a Jedi up and put them in the chaos, would they be able to navigate it? Or is it the fact that you're so trained and in tune with the Force in your own environment that the skill sets that have been molded and shaped by different ones are completely without of reach? It's interesting really to think interesting. about. I feel like for me, I wonder if it's like, you know, this case of, uh, you know, almost like a use it, you lose it kind of thing, or don't use it, you lose it. Um, and I wonder if it's like in our in our known galaxy, the conflict of the Jedi and the Sith, what if that has just sort of like, you know, increased the, the force um, accessibility or something. I don't know if that makes mm. sense, but like the fact that there is no or like large scale sort of um, usage of the force, and there hasn't been this conflict of these two factions, these force factions, um, so dominating this part of of a galaxy. I wonder if that's like it's made it weaker or something, but then also maybe also this idea with the skywalkers of like, yeah, what if you just take a chis child, don't teach them skywalking and just bring them into the Jedi order. Does that last longer or does the act of skywalking 
so burden their abilities that it burns out quickly, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like it's, I, I think, yeah, there's no, there's no answer we have as to, as to why. Um, but yeah, but I, I wonder if it's because it's like, you know, the, the Jedi and the Sith have so fueled this, like, it's almost like the force is a battery or something. And, and the way, the way the Jedi and Sith have sort of fought each other for, for thousands of years, um, has charged that battery so like so uh well in the the universe we know that not having that kind of conflict in the in the chiss realm um it's just it's just not as easily like accessible yeah it like that totally just reminded me of one of my all-time favorite discussions of the force of freddie prince jr on that podcast getting really mad and talking about God learning. Bless. it's like the force wants to balance itself the jedi get a little power the sith get a little power it wants to be in balance but in ca- the chaos there can't really be any balance mm-hmm. which might be hindering who knows all speculation no real facts thank you for listening to our mindless jarble <laughs> <laughs> for, for humoring us sitting along for that one well well, let me say you know i always find um fandom and discussions of things like this i always find it like i feel like it's the right zone when you're able to say i don't know what the right answer is (laughs) And and like for me that that's like the most fun fandom can get when when you when you don't approach it with this well this is obviously right Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, yeah. Like, I hope, I hope you know, if you're listening to this, you 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 think about these things too, and and you have these same sort of like, well, I don't know what, the, I don't have the answer, but uh, they're fun. To, they're fun to think about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And let's see here. So we talked about. Let's see here. We talked a little bit about the chiss and about. Give the benevolent and the mysterious attacks on the neighboring planets of the Chiss Ascendancy. Um, but if we want to talk about the senators, the uh, the old money ruling class, why don't we talk a little bit about Ambassador Iplo- Ipar- Ilparg? <laughs> What's his name? Ilparg, I believe. Ambassador, Ambassador Pain in the Ass. Um. <laughs> I love the guy. So, <laughs> I he's a great, great character too. <laughs> oh God! You you know what? Every now and then, you need like that one character who's just like the naysayer, mm-hmm. who's just like, "Well, you can't lift that with the force. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's not the way it works." And then to have someone just be like, "Well, yeah, watch me." <laughs> well, yeah, like he, this is the dude who. Vader's going to choke or who, you know, Kylo's going to throw on a table. You know, there's always one of them. Some guy who's who's such a total just stick up the ass, but so full of himself. And, and I think he's good practice for Thrawn going to deal with some of these really obnoxious Imperials that we see in the main Thrawn trilogy, you know, or in Star Wars Rebels. These people who think they have it all figured out. And it's kind of practice because you know the thrawn that we see in rebels and that we see in the first three books 
is not quite the Thrawn we see here. Yes, he's still different, but he's got way more political finesse in terms of at least turning someone's attitudes against themselves. And I think this ambassador is kind of the first test we've really started to see. And there's a great line from the book that I love when he's just going off on something where it's saying, uh, Ambassador Ilparg apparently never understood that the term the chaos wasn't simply someone's random idea of a good name. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I love that so much. It's so snarky. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great vibe and it's someone, uh, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's great training for Thrawn, right? <laughs> uh, of what he, what he'll eventually come to see. And it's a, it's a great like foil for that kind of character. He really is, especially since even to the intelligent, even to, well, even to the people that should be in on it, like, you know, his entire crew, often they can't see the way he thinks which makes it even better to put a character like this in. Be like, look how stark the contrast is. Um, and, you know, just how different he really can be from the aristocracy. But, you know, I dig it. I, I really thought that was a really fun way for him to, you know, get practice manipulating, <laughs> manipulating people. Um, very valuable skill when you have people whose heads are stuck in the sand. Very valuable skill for Thrawn. I think like this is sort of a separate thought, um, and uh, I don't know. I always feel like I have to bring it up every time we discuss a Thrawn novel because I just think it's an interesting way that the character works. Where um, it just just taking canon for itself, um, he's he's a villain in Rebels, right? And like there's no there's no two ways about that. Like he is he is the bad guy. And it's always funny reading these because he's very much not the bad guy in these. And um it I guess it's I, I always have this sort of thing where it's like maybe just pure deep rooted loyalty to the ghost crew. Where I almost feel guilty for like mm-hmm. in these books. <laughs> yes. And it's like it's like, oh man, he's so cool. But wait, didn't he just like wipe everyone out? Like, <laughs> did he, like, did he, did he like ruthlessly kill all my like rebellion homies? Um, so it's like, it's it's weird. I wonder if you guys have that same thing where it's like reading these novels and seeing him as this hero. And I think it is. I can definitely see, um, you know, if we ever meet Thrawn again post Rebels, uh, will where they will like pull him away from the empire and sort of like leave that behind and have him be this um this character that you can actually sort of like fully root for um but i always find it hard in especially these like prequel novels to be like oh well i don't know how like fully i can commit to this guy because i know what i know what he's going <laughs> to do on behalf of the empire um so yeah, I was just wondering if you guys like had that before or still have it or like got through that kind of um like cognitive dissonance you kind of have to have of separating book thrawn and show thrawn and how you balance that being like being a villain in one form of a, one story 
and being kind of like your your hero in the other. Yeah, it's definitely a bit bit of a brain jerker there, you know, because you feel like he's, I think guilt was a great word choice there that you're rooting him on. And it was especially, you know, interesting when those initial books were coming out as the show was still airing. Right. So, you know, you read it now and you're like, okay, well, we know that he, he doesn't kill any one of our super favorite, you know, people. And in the end he loses and is off with Ezra who may convince him to do the right thing. And so I think that, the removal of, you know, him from Rebels since that show is over and since his story there is over has made it a whole lot easier. And especially when you're reading, like, these, uh, this book here, with it being a prequel, you see that this Thrawn has yet to grow into the Thrawn that does these bad things. And so I guess I'm, I've gotten over that uh, kind of back and forth at this point. But yeah, certainly when those, at least when those first two novels were out for sure, I forget the timing of the third. I, the, Rebels was finished by the time the third one came out, right? My years are all mixed up. I and think so. Time yeah. is just in the yeah. these days. But yeah, when those first two were coming out, or at least the very first one, you, um, I, I found it more difficult. But it's kind of nice that how at the beginning of Rebels, you know, they talk about, oh, well, wasn't there a, a great, you know, a giant massacre that you were somehow involved in? And how the book says, well, really, that was just Governor Price and Thrawn just went along with it. Or he, you know, it helped him get the needs, he, the end that he needed in a way. So I think that they have done a, a pretty good job with that. But one thing that makes, that sort of prevents you from liking Thrawn too much is what prevents all the characters from liking Thrawn too much is he's just, he's just that different. You know, he's not really meant to be an empathetic character. Like, I've never read something like, oh, I feel sad for Thrawn right now. Or I feel angry on his behalf. He just simply is. <laughs> yeah, because like so, much <laughs> of the book, so much of the book is other characters perceiving him, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's every book, right? Like, how many, how many do you actually get, <laughs> like, this is his perspective chapter? Like, is that the entire... I can't think of that many, if any. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's always We had, people... like, the flashbacks from the Thrawn novels, the original one, but that's, like, pretty much it. Yeah. It's, it's, We're all it's very much Yeah. Everybody's... He's, he's like, the star of, of the show, and everybody's just... But we're only experiencing it through the other. And that's actually a so, lot yeah. like the Rebels series as well. We don't have, like a Thrawn adventure where there's an episode dedicated, like what's Thrawn up to? I mean, we see that with Callus, um, you know, and then we see this with other Imperials a little bit. Uh, and of course, Callus has the redemption there, but the perception of Thrawn is entirely through, entirely through the eyes of other people. So when you're looking at uh, like the Ryloth episode where Thrawn shows up, you're going to see him in a horrible, heinous light because there he is, you know, possessing Hera's homestead and taking her uh, her family's art and her family's house and all this stuff. And so, but we don't see that episode from Thrawn's perspective. He's a character who, you know, comes and goes as other people are reacting to him. And I think that's what's going on in the books too. So that's why it feels, I would actually almost say it feels weird to root for a guy who we really don't know what's going on in his head, you know, when you read these books. 
it is kind of weird. And that's kind of like the power of the character, the way that it's always been for me. And the reason I love Thrawn so much is I love being like the Watson, watching Sherlock figure it out, but not fully being in on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like until, figuring until out. at the end kind of thing. Yes. And you're yeah. like, oh, that's what you were doing the whole time. I love that side about it. And that's why he's so... Um, that's why I'm so drawn to every story of his is just because I like, I kind of like being on the outside trying to figure it out and knowing I'm not really going to, but Thrawn's got a way. Um, yeah, that's, I've always, I, I think I've always had a stronger attachment to Thrawn, um, even before he was in, in Rebels or anything like that, just because though that trilogy, the original Thrawn trilogy from the 90s was one of the things that like kept my fandom alive um, when there weren't movies when, you know, and when I didn't get involved in this community, this online fandom community, um, those books kept it alive for me a lot. And so I've always kind of been drawn to him. And even though he, in those books, he's coming after Luke Skywalker and, and Leia and Han and the new Republic. I still just, Everything I've just been drawn to him, and so I get that I have probably an unnatural endearment towards him. That like even when he was in Rebels and the creepy organ music is going in the background, I'm always just like giddy, like I love you, <laughs> which is not the reaction that most normal functioning human beings would have, but that's just always been me. So, but it's just it just shows the strength of his character that you can be so afraid of him and just see him as just absolute cold calculating evil in one story and then just be like in and and like root for him in the other it's just it's just it's the power of thrawn baby yeah. power of thrawn yeah it's always it's always fun to be like um to try to watch rebels with you know through a through the lens that the the novels have set up right and and it's something I don't I, it, like. It doesn't always. I don't know if I can always do successfully, and because it, it very much like the novels are like, oh, he's he's kind of just doing what he has to do, kind of thing, and and he'll do the thing that is well, like most of or not actually, I won't say most efficiently because he he goes for like the grand plan sometimes, um, but like he'll do the he'll do the thing that he thinks is like most effective, and and it's it's. It's one of those things. It's part like <laughs> part of me feels like it's it's trying to have the character be both ways, and maybe that's fine. Uh, maybe that's something you can do, but I it always just feels like um, it allows him to be both, you know, to be like good in these novels and bad in rebels and yeah and maybe that is a good thing. Maybe I've just undercut my myself here, <laughs> but uh. But I do, I do find it to be, uh, at least initially, a struggling thing to to grasp. Yeah, and it, especially when we, when you know, we're so attached to the Ghost Crew and to our characters in the Rebellion, and just seeing what that you know, knowing that outcome. But nah, dude, this is this is Prime Thrawn being Thrawn, making me happy. Um. And it's it's nice to see where he is at his beginnings and where he's going in the future, hopefully afterwards. But do you guys have just any like? 
<laughs> but he is good. The only thing he did, like all he ever does, he does in the name of his people. He needs what? the empire to help the Chiss. Why did he kill the farmer man? <laughs> 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 he shot Bendu in the face. <laughs> Was he thinking about the chips when he killed the farmer man on the speeder bike? All that guy wonder was was a cheaper Melu run. That's what they wanted. <laughs> oh my god, I started this episode blue and now I'm red. I'm just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but he, yeah, but everything aside, Thrawn is Thrawn is wonderful. And I know and I know he's not these books aren't they're not like universally praised by by fandom. You'll you'll find plenty of people who find them irksome for whatever reason. But uh but yeah, I think I think the the entire it's one of the one of the great pleasures of of you know Disney Lucasfilm is is bringing him back into the fold. I think I think that's oh absolutely, and it's just like the way they did it too was so fantastic because we just like people didn't associate Thrawn with pre New Hope at all, you know. So I, I think yes. that's what just totally took people by surprise. It's a total just like roller coaster there, and I think it's it's brilliantly done because I can't think about how they could have done Rebels differently because you needed to have a bad villain who wouldn't be around by the time of the films unless you made them a look like a doofus the whole time or b they kill the entire main cast. So it's yeah. a good little. They found like the perfect note there, and you know what? I will actually defend him killing the farmer. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, I, don't, I feel like we should honor that guy by remembering his name. But you see how other Imperials work. Uh, you know, if you read uh, which McCall, A New Dawn, and see how like a guy like Count Vidian, who's a, a big you know calculating guy trying to get efficiency running in the Empire, or what we see in you know Rogue One or elsewhere, if nobody steps forward to doing the wrong thing. Everybody, or, you know, you can't pinpoint a specific target like this person did this. Everybody gets shot down and you lose an entire workforce. You have more blood on your hands. But Thrawn was able to kill just one person to put everyone in line. And so it's definitely a very calculated thing versus, okay, these are all broken and not working. So we're just going to have to gun you down and bring in droids or bring in slaves from a different planet. But, you know, Thrawn played a mental game that ended up saving more lives in the long run. And that's the entire way that he operates. So, yeah, I mean, that farmer dude, you know, peace to him and his wife that looks like Minister Tua, but with darker hair. <laughs> but Actually, while we, while we have his wife on the line, <laughs> um, I just I need to, I need to always mention the fact that it takes her literally half a second to get over his death. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, Aww. he didn't make it. And she's like, oh. Hey, look! <laughs> well, <laughs> he was kind of old, you know, and she just wanted, that, that gal just wanted to, 
She wanted she wanted some writing. She wanted yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> there we go. That's the head can and writer slid a little note like it was him. That guy, he was the one who busted. <laughs> <laughs> His wife, uh, his wife's a Catholic. She won't divorce him. <laughs> <laughs> the, the plot thickens. Oh goodness! Uh, <laughs> but yeah, oh no, man, it, it, it's fun. I mean, it's funny you mentioned about not perceiving him as being before a New Hope because, like, the fun caveat is, as we know through Rebels, he can still be that guy after Return of the Jedi. You know, not necessarily this empire, this force of the empire, but like he can still exist in that time frame based on, you know, everything we know about um, rebels. And I'm pretty, I don't remember when, but I'm pretty sure Filoni was like, yeah, they're kicking around somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember him mentioning something about that. Was it at the yeah. after show, the after panel, after the finale, maybe? Uh, yeah, I think it, uh, yeah, it was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so it's, you know, he can still be that, which, so they, they really set him up in, in a great way, and, and yeah, like, just, like, um, being, like, being at that panel reveal where, you know, where they did the trailer, and they, they revealed Thrawn officially, I, like, I, I rank that as certainly a top three, maybe, maybe number two, like, absolute celebration that that platform. is my biggest like, fan envy i have towards you by the way going to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was just like it was absolute pandemonium like i cannot i was like i was sort of close to the front so i have no idea what was going on behind me but you could have told me anything and i'd believe it because <laughs> it's a wild orgy like, everyone started having sex yeah, behind little, <laughs> yeah people were just doing it in the in the like aisles of the of the like arena and like the last 20 seconds of that trailer were irrelevant because we could not hear the way the way people were, were like cheering <laughs> so like it's one of those it's one of those things like the the like absolute power of of this guy just simply because of exactly like Claire's experience where like he was the guy who kept who sort of like brought it back for some people kept it alive for some people um like just the the interest in Star Wars stories, right? So, it, I'm I'm glad he's here. I'm glad having this cognitive dissonance of deciding when he's good and bad, and it, it's it's fun to be reading him. That's for sure. It reminds me one of my favorite Thrawn celebration moments was Celebration 2015 in Anaheim. Uh, so this was, of course, the first celebration in the states after the acquisition, and so there was a panel on canon that had Pablo Hidalgo and uh, Leland Chi. Those brave bastards. Oh, I know. And so it's like, they talked for a little bit in the Q&A show. Never do that. Never do that ever the again. Q- the Q&A sure. line showed up, and there were 10 throngs, like full cosplayed throngs in the line, and Pablo's like, yeah, I see you throngs. You guys can sit down. <laughs> also, like, how, how fun must it have been for them to know he was oh talking. just to be such a flex there <laughs> yeah like they like they would have known he would have been the, yeah 2016 they announced him so he would have been casted rendered blah 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 um so yeah that it's i love that sort of oh it's great 
that 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 that's how yeah that 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 was an all-time great panel and like you said it's a shame we'll never get that again but i don't blame them at all because it's it's, it's probably just 10 times worse because it's in like a tiny like one of the smaller rooms and it felt super conversational and it was just funny seeing all these guys painted blue there's like fat thrawn fit (laughs) thrawn t-shirt wearing thrawn <laughs> day off, day off. Art museum, day art museum date. Can we? <laughs> can we make that like a group cosplay? Is blue man group, but all of us oh, different yeah. throngs. <laughs> that that is a meta. That's a meta celebration cosplay. It's like we are cosplaying as the audience of a former <laughs> celebration. <laughs> <panel>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they ever do a canon panel like that, it needs to be like unannounced and just in a oh, like in a in a bar in a bar that's like five just miles see who shows away. Up. <laughs> that reminds me of one probably be painted blue. <laughs> that reminds me of the first uh, dinner we had in Chicago, where we went to that restaurant and like Lee Lynchy and the Brez were just at the bar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, it's nice to see the fellows. <laughs> just, just having just a good, chat. having a good, having a drink or two, getting a chat, maybe some pizza. Um, so yeah, that it just needs to be like this total off the books, no idea it's going to happen. Maybe just a little bit of word of mouth going around mm-hmm. of show up maybe here. Well, guys, um, don't worry. Yeah. Charlie follows Pablo on Twitter, and so he can see everything. <laughs> So Charlie will find out, and we'll all know. There we go. We'll all know. (laughs) (laughs) He survived the purge. Oh, he is truly a god amongst all of us, isn't he? (laughs) But anyway, bringing it back to Thrawn, do you guys have any final thoughts, (laughs) any predictions on the first half of this novel? What are we, how are we feeling halfway through? Can we? Yeah, I'm I'm really excited so far. Like like I sort of mentioned this this one really brought me back to the way I was like excited to be reading the the first book. Um and sort of that sense of like you know, the the page the page turniness of it, right? And and wanting to to push forward. Um so I'm really excited to keep going on. I'm really excited to see how this keeps going. I my prediction is Thrawn will do something clever that nobody saw coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Spot on. Um, my final thought is if you uh, look at the author's dedication at the beginning of the book, it says, for all of those who stand on the edge of chaos, which really is the perfect dedication for 2020. And so... <laughs> you know, see, seeing that going into the book when I open that page, I'm like, I'm going to like this book. <laughs> that checks that, that's out. Still the case. Uh, I'll go ahead and, and try to make a a more wilder bet here. I suppose I'm just just to pick something specific. I'm going to say that either Sherry, Shelly, Cherry. I don't know how you say her. <laughs> you know what's what's the Cherry, <laughs> Cherry, the little Skywalker. Yes, Cherry Coke, <laughs> Cherry Coke. <laughs> Cherry baby. Cherry and or Thalius are going to die <laughs> by the end of the novel. That that that's oh. my that's my call there. So we'll see. Based on nothing but just just a gut feeling. 
Yeah, so I, I, I have to say, final thoughts, this is the book that I wanted. I've wanted it for a long time, and it is not disappointing. Um, but And it makes me actually very genuinely happy to know, to think about. I don't know where the next two books after this are going. I don't know if we're going to defeat the Nick Gardoon, if they're going to be prevalent through the rest of the other books. Um or if this is another contained story, just like the other books in the 2017 Thrawn trilogy were. They were technically a part of the same story, but they kind of closed each adventure, closed the door at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I, I'm excited. I, I just, my prediction is as well that Thrawn's going to do something that none of us expect. And uh, he's going to get laid. Ooh, That's my prediction. All right, I, I like that. One. I want, <laughs> I want a spicy lost thought, lost stars esque love scene. Well, between him and Aralani. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, your prediction mm-hmm. and my prediction aren't a hundred percent related because that'd be really awkward. <laughs> hey, you're my adopted sister. Let's bone. <laughs> and now you're dead. <laughs> and now you're dead. <laughs> Sad times. The, the power, the power of that pipe. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! She's lost the will to live. <laughs> She's lost. She's completed. She's completed her uh, task. <laughs> oh gracious me! <laughs> so I think with that, uh, we're gonna wrap up for today. Um, Please uh, stay tuned for part two of our Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising. Why can't I say Ascendancy today? My God. Uh, But yeah, stay tuned for part two of the discussion coming soon. And uh, Reed, thank you again for joining us. Where uh, where can people keep track of you if they do not already? Where can they find you? Yeah, it's been an absolute delight. So all you pod cats and pod kittens, you can uh, follow me. (laughs) <laughs> uh my uh oh, god uh my, my show is a uh, co bibbles babble bubble which you can follow on uh, the social medias at co bubble uh, you can get me personally if you want to see me ranting either about star wars pirates of the caribbean or texas football more often than not that's at real r dev and if uh you like to communicate via carrier pigeon my pigeon roost number is Delta three six. <laughs> There's a mean cat that lives nearby, so your pigeon may be eaten along the way. But I, I check pretty regularly, so uh, I'm looking forward to getting your pigeon mail. Is that barley? Yes, it's <laughs> barley. <laughs> <laughs> you know they might shut down the USPS. There have been a bit of trouble right now, but carrier pigeons are forever. Mm-hmm. Oh goodness. But anyway, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure. We look forward to uh, reuniting for the second half of the novel. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And may the forest be with you. Peace. Bye.